0: Welcome to the Scaling Japan podcast. I am your host, Tyson Bottino. And on today's episode, we have William Ryan, the CEO of Japan Hospitality Consultants. He has supported fellow expats to open up their own bar, cafe, or restaurant in Japan. He has managed pubs for more than 20 years and more than seven years with his own pub called Ansorasu Irish Pub in Yoyogi. Many entrepreneurs first time and also multiple time entrepreneurs have the dream of opening a restaurant because it sounds like fun. But let's get a practical view of the in and outs of opening a food business in Japan. So it's really good to
1: have you, William. And could you please introduce yourself? Hi, Tyson. First of all, thanks for having me on. I'm delighted to do this podcast with you. I came to Japan in November 2003. I worked in different Irish pubs in and around Tokyo up until 2014. And September 2014, I opened up my own place in yo I'm still going. I still work there a lot. I'm still there four or five nights a week. Still really, really enjoy it. In um, Back when the pandemic hit in 2019, I was just in work one day and there wasn't a whole lot happening. So I was actually on Reddit in work one day and I read this question. Some lady in Scandinavia asked this question about... How do I open up a restaurant or a coffee shop in Tokyo? And I was reading through the answer, And so many of the answers were so misleading and just absolutely not true. And that's kind of gave me the idea of I'm just going to answer some questions here and see how it goes. So I was answering some questions, you know, I was getting asked some more questions, more questions and kind of a light bulb moment where i like, actually, maybe this could be a side business. I can explore, help other people open up a coffee restaurant or a bar in Tokyo, because there does seem to be a lot of people who want to do it but they don't know how to do it or what the first step should be. Gotcha. So I'm curious,
0: why do you think some of the answers were way off?
1: I think a lot of people have this idea of Japan without actually ever being in Japan. So I don't really know why somebody would answer a question when they clearly... One of the most bizarre answers I saw was no foreigners can open up their own bar restaurant coffee shop in Japan because the Yakuza run everything and they won't let you into the area. They won't let you do anything. I'm just reading it, like, why, why would you take time out of your day to write something that's, that's obviously not true, you know? So I was just answering that question, be no, no, this isn't true, I've done it, I know many other people who have done it, it definitely can be done. You just need to have enough of capital behind you and understand really why you want to do it in the first place, you know?
0: Gotcha, thanks for sharing. I guess my first question would be, could you tell us a little bit about the differences made between running a restaurant in Japan versus another country?
1: So I worked in bars and restaurants in Ireland and in Australia as well before I came to Japan. Japan is, the customer is definitely king. You've got to understand that from day one. So the food, the food is really important in Japan as well. You can't be just like, oh, I'm just opening up a small little bar. I'm just opening up a dive bar. I'll just do a little bit of snacks because Japanese customers won't stay if you've only got snacks or if the food isn't up to standard. Japanese customers as well for the most part they're very cost conscious and they want value for their money they're not going to waste their money if something isn't up to scratch what they call um cost performance mm. they want to know about it and they mightn't let you know straight to your face but you'll know about it later when you're reading a tablog or google business some of the reviews you're going to get online so you need to be really clear on your costs conscious of your costs and food has to be up to scratch as well
0: that makes sense though because i was thinking in japan there's they have a lot of Alternatives that are very cost effective.
1: Yeah. And the standard of service here is fantastic as well. I mean, any place you go into, they're going to be super polite, they're going to be super nice, you're going to be looked after, you're not going to be waiting a while to get your food. You're not going to be waiting a while for somebody to come and take your order. So you're going into that competitive field where you've got to find your own little niche. Now, the advice I would give to most people, fellow expats opening up your own places, don't try to open up your own place with the intent of being more Japanese than the Japanese, you're not going to win. That's just not going to happen. But what I would say, what we tend to aim more towards is put more of your personality and yourself. Japanese service for the most part is very polite, but it's not overly friendly. So there's like a 7-Eleven down the road from my house and I've been living here for seven years and I still don't know any of the staff's name. Like i come in, they give it to me, they see me pretty much every other day and we'll just go out again. Like in Ireland or Australia or whatever, you'd be like best friends with those guys by now because you've seen them so much, you know? So it's the same in my pub and yogi. when customers come in. And this works really well with Japanese customers. If you take the time to remember their name and remember their drink, even if they weren't even in there once, they really, really appreciate that. That tends to land really well. Now, you don't want to be too familiar. So if you have a Japanese customer coming in and he likes to come in one or two nights a week and just have a couple of quiet drinks, and then if, if he's coming in with a group a week later, you don't want to be like, hey, Suzuki, you want your regular? Because he might not want uh, the people he's coming in with to know that he's coming to this bar a lot either, you know. So it, really depends <laughs> on, it depends on the customer you're dealing with as well. And a really important part of this job is to be able to read your customer as well.
0: I'll reiterate that. Uh, that is a very important point. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that is pretty funny because actually it, it makes
1: perfect sense. Yeah. It's
0: not. What's a they might not want the client or their coworkers to know that they're drinking uh, most no, of the time. No, no. So
1: you gotta you gotta gauge them when they come in the door as well. A lot of most customers do, and they want that acknowledgement to show that like, yeah, this is my place. I'm recommended. I'm bringing people in here, and having my own place that part of the job does make you quite proud. That you start off with one customer, you make him a regular, then he brings in his friends, then his friends start to come back by themselves then just start bringing in their families and then their families start coming back by themselves. And from that, it just grows and grows and grows, which is really nice to see. You know, it's something you can be proud of at the end of the day is that you're actually growing this just from one customer and you can turn into like a, a group of regular customers that you'll have in six months to a year. Yeah. It makes perfect sense to me.
0: Cause that kind of sounds like, or in Japan um, they call it snack bars. Yeah. 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 And you have your mama-san, uh, they give you a snack, they know your drink. And uh, their business is pretty much purely based on regulars.
1: Yeah. Yeah, your regulars, and it's the same in Ireland. I worked in pubs in Ireland for years as well. And we always say that your regulars are your bread and butter. They're the guys who are going to keep the rent paid. They're the guys who are going to keep the lights on. And I think during COVID, that was highlighted more so than anything else. Because tourists weren't coming in. A lot of companies stopped having Nomi guys. And you were really just reliant on regular customers then
0: what are some of the common mistakes that foreign
1: restaurant owners or pub owners make in Japan? I, just two, I'll give one long answer and one short answer. I'll give you the long answer first. The long answer I'd say is when people first start out their business, they don't have enough money in reserve to keep them going through the first two years or the first three years. A lot of people, you hear the the stereotype or the, at most places that open up 50% close down within the first three years or the first two years. Now, I don't think anybody knows the real number on that, but a lot of people think, oh, he just had the wrong idea or they were in the wrong location or he wasn't motivated enough. And I think that's unfair because I don't think anybody goes into this business expecting it to be easy. Mm. You obviously, you know that it's not going to be, but I think what a lot of people say, if you have 15 million yen and you want to open up your own place, a lot of people make the mistake of spending 13.5 million yen or 14 million yen. And they leave behind 1 million yen to get them through the first year, which obviously isn't going to be enough, you know. So a lot of people, I think, tend to run out of money and they've got nowhere left to turn in except for just close their doors again. Because you're working 60, 70, 80 hour a week, you mightn't be even getting a salary yourself out of the place and you're still losing money. It's just not sustainable. So a lot of people hate numbers, they hate dealing with it, but it's absolutely vital for your business to survive, that you know and understand your numbers fully
0: yeah i can imagine just understanding the cost of food the cost of drinks you know like how
1: much you purchased something and how much you sold it for yeah and there's just so many small bills that add up like gas water electricity electricity bill is highest that it's ever been since we first opened nine years ago i don't think that's just for commercial businesses i think that's domestically as well everybody's seeing the cost of that i think yeah most people tend to overestimate how much money they're going to make and underestimate how much the bills are going to be every month, you know. So it's really important that you get you get that right from the start. You should have, ideally, you'd have about three months to six months running costs in reserve before you open your doors to give yourself a good fighting chance.
0: Yeah, not three. Three months sounds like, it sounds like you're really living on the edge there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Ideally, it should, it should be six months, but it costs a lot to open up as well, so it's not... It's not just like a click of the fingers on, yeah, I'm going to have six months lined up as well, you know. And the short answer to your original question is, and I see this too much in Japan, is people drinking when they work. I mean, it's nice oh. to have a drink for the customer. and somebody wants to buy you a drink, that's absolutely fine. I mean, I'm not here to tell anybody how to do their job. Well, a lot of people tend to blur the lines there of you're actually working now. You're not here to get drunk. And I know customers might look like they enjoy it, but you still have a job to do and they're still paying you whatever you're charging for the food and the drink and they want to be treated like in a proper way as well you know
0: no it makes it
1: makes perfect sense
0: i could see the in or yeah like the owner doesn't seem like they take it serious enough or maybe they just give away too much free food
1: or drink yeah i mean because you need to it's a very easy thing to do right the beers are all there right in front of you your customers are having some drinks you just want to have a drink with them so you do need to be disciplined in that way and after a while customers will really start to respect that and they they respond quite well to that as well, from what I've seen. Any other common mistakes that you see? Not keeping the place that you're working in clean enough, especially the bathrooms, they need to be absolutely spotless. So many people are judging how clean your kitchen is or how clean your bathroom is. And a lot of people don't know that, especially female clientele. If your bathroom isn't up to scratch, a lot of people are thinking when they're in the bathroom, they're like, if the bathroom is this dirty, I don't want to imagine what it's like where I can see, like the kitchen, for example, where the food is being prepped like that. Keep yeah, that spotless I- as well. For us too, like, uh, in at least in the, for our
0: English industry, it's a lot of customers are female and making sure that the bathroom looks nice. Maybe there's some nice, not perfume but some nice scent
1: <laughs> yeah and it's just it's just simple scent, stuff uh, it's just simple standards that you have
0: right and ideally maybe separate the, the men's and the female toilets if oh, you yeah. can for
1: sure for sure if you have the space for that right
0: <laughs> yeah, if you
1: have the have space. Be, most people don't want to be sharing that space right i think in our case too like uh, there's one case where we
0: shared a toilet like with other businesses on the floor and i think uh and we had two locations one was in a prime business location like, they, they cleaned it every day. So it yeah. was spotless. We didn't have to clean. That was perfect. Uh, we did it in a lower-cost area for a different school, and, like, like even I didn't want to go in there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and so... But it's but all yeah. a reflection of your business, right, and how you run your business. is uh, Yeah,
0: you, even if it's the building owners who are managing the toilets. it's
1: Yeah, it's I mean, a, if you're throwing a house party and you're having some friends over for drinks on a Sunday afternoon or a Saturday night, whatever, you you clean your house up before people come over, right? And that's mm. let alone people coming and actually paying you money for your food and for your drinks. You know, that's the, it's the, least, it's the least people should be able to expect when they come into your premises. Yeah, it's like, I'm never going to their house again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh. Cool. And yeah, so I think a question I've heard is, do I, you need to get a Japanese partner? But what are your thoughts on that?
1: You don't have to have a Japanese partner. Um, If you have enough cash behind you, and if your Japanese is up to scratch, you can do it without a Japanese partner. Although it does make it a lot easier if you have a Japanese partner. Originally, I was going to try to open up my own place by myself and I found it extremely difficult, even though my Japanese was pretty good at that time. I'd been studying four or five hours a day for four years in Japanese school. Mm -hmm. I just found it really hard to get a location and to get anybody to sign the lease off just being a foreigner by themselves. So I have two Japanese partners now and it just made the whole process, getting the bank loan out, getting the lease on the premises, having the guarantor, not having to pay a guarantor company. It just made the process a lot simpler. I was quite lucky in the fact as well that I had uh, two partners I had. i worked with them previously for 10 years also. And so we went into together knowing each other quite well. If you can do it by yourself, good. But it's nice to be able to share the workload as well. Like I can go back to Ireland for two weeks or I can take a week off and go to Akwanawe in October if I need to. And I know my business partners are going to run it the way we've been running it for the last nine years, you know, so that's nice. If you want to do this by yourself, it's good, but it's fair you have to get any time off unless you want to close it down for a week here or there, you know. That makes perfect sense. One of the common
0: challenges I see with my consulting clients is not having any staff internally who can drive marketing strategy and execution to the next level. This really limits the growth trajectory of a company, especially for a leader like you that wants to go from 30 million to 500 million yen a year and does not have the time to spend years learning through trial and error. To solve this problem, I'm launching a marketing agency that can help companies like yours to increase leads and closing rates through SEO, Google Maps, content marketing, and websites that convert. Head over to scalingyourcompany.com and book a free consultation. Let's talk about what your business needs are, where your current strategy is letting you down, and how we can help you see real results with the methods I've successfully implemented at multiple companies myself. Now, back to the episode. What are some things that, uh, let's say, uh, foreigners is listening to this and they want to open up their own shop. Uh, What are some ways that you help them that maybe reduces the need for a Japanese partner?
1: I helped them a lot with the location as well. Like just before I met you today, I was uh, meeting with a client and just going looking at locations together. Um, Her Japanese is pretty good, but she's just there for the extra support. So I know a lot of the questions to ask real estate agents that real estate agents don't divulge when they first like you. You have 10 locations. You would probably understand this as well. It's especially dealing with hospitality, like asking a real estate agent, is there gas pipes laid down or is there water pipes laid down? because a lot of them will not tell you until you have the contract signed. And then it costs a lot of money to get gas pipes, especially if you want to have a working kitchen there. So it's stuff like that. It's just small little details like that that people tend to forget about because my experience lot of real estate agents don't give up this information unless you ask them, you know? No, I've, uh, that's been our experience as well. Like we
0: went with, I think we worked with three or four agents then we just stuck to one, but we've worked with them enough where they know what we want, and uh, yeah, they know that we'll keep
1: coming back if they if they look after you, right? Yeah. Like the first time I meet any client, what would always go through is uh, the numbers and make sure that the numbers work for them, and I want to give them nice a realistic idea of how much money is potentially in the business that they want to do. Because i like I've been doing it for a long time, and I like the numbers side of it, and just trying to show them that if you, you may be working in this job now that you're not really happy and you may have a, a pretty good salary there and you want to open up your bar and restaurant, but I like to give them a realistic idea of how much money potentially they're going to make in the first, especially two to three years. And then give them time to go home and think about it and see if they still want to go through with this or not. Because it's an expensive lesson to learn later on if you're like, oh, what have I actually done here? My name is signed on all these contracts and I'm, I'm not making any money out of this and the bills are coming in every month, you know? So we just show them, at the start, what the road ahead is going to look like. I like that a lot because
0: I think it shows that you're a very responsible consultant, Uh, meaning that rather than just trying to get the sale and just kind of get any odd person to... Yeah, to be
1: completely honest, probably about 50% of my clients so far have only had one consultancy with me and that has been the initial one. Yeah, you're right. I could be like, I don't know, maybe I could lead them on a little bit and be like, oh yeah, man, that's the best idea I ever heard and getting three or four consultancies out of them and didn't show the numbers of what's going to happen. But I I don't know. That's not really fair on them either, you know? Yeah. I wouldn't Uh, want somebody to do do that to me when I was starting up, You know, I'd rather know from the beginning. In our case, like, uh, now, like, with my company, we're starting to offer
0: some marketing services. And I've just been seeing, like, people post, on like, yeah, I'm looking for a marketing agency. And people would just, like, rush to it. And it's like, wait, 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 wait. The first question is, like, should you even sell your product in Japan? And I was like, yeah. yeah, like like you know and it's the same thing with like what you're mentioning too it's like like should you actually open a restaurant and uh and that's kind of like where the first for me like so i just like all these people jump in i was like oh like uh i hope they don't like use these companies and they're like japan sucks (laughs) yeah because like japan is too hard like it sucks like no like you went to the person who's just trying to sell you the job like Mm.
1: but you need to go to someone who can tell you, should you actually come to Japan first? Yeah. Should you actually do this or not? In in my business, especially the litmus test kind of for me is go work in a bar, restaurant, coffee shop, whatever you want to do, even if it's only one, two nights a week for six months. And then come back and tell me if you still really want to go through this or not. Some of them do, some of them don't. But that's... Every A lot of people make the mistake of, oh, man, I'd love to have my own pub, but just come in and I would chat to the guys and I'd say hello. And like we'd watch the game together and I have a couple of beers and then I'd go home at 11 o'clock. And it, it, it's not like that at all. It can be on occasion, but you got to work very, very hard to get to that point.
0: So there's another successful foreigner in the English language space. Uh, his name's, uh, I think, uh, Dean Rogers. But he said something like, uh, if you're going to buy a language school, make sure you work there for three to six months. Mm. Yeah. And you just yeah. see what it's like, just so you know what you're getting into. So I think, yeah, I think your litmus test is a pretty spot on. And that's kind of something that we see in the English school industry in Japan as well, among the foreigners.
1: Like, how do you know you want to put this much money into an industry that you don't really know if you're going to enjoy or not, you know? And the reason Orpis on Solace started off so well is we were all working in pubs for 10, 12 years before that. So we had a lot of customers to begin with. Nice. Uh, we knew all the suppliers. So we had all the suppliers, we knew the accountants, and we started with that. So the first six months, we like, like the honeymoon period was fantastic because we sent postcards out all to all our old regular customers and be like, hey, I haven't seen you in years. I opened up in this place, blah, blah, blah. And we really hit the ground running. So it's not just the experience you're getting to see if you actually want to work in this industry. As well. You're making a lot of contacts. You're meeting a lot of suppliers. You're building your own customer base, and you're getting paid to do it as well. You might even get paid a whole lot of money might be an hourly rate of just like one thousand one hundred yen, one thousand two hundred yen an hour or not, but you got to factor in the experience and the context that you're making out of this as well. Yeah, because
0: one thing I've noticed as well about Japan is well, like, because if we're in our home country, there's there's probably somebody in Ireland selling like a pub in a box. <laughs> <laughs> you can buy the kit. This is like all the information you need to know about running a pub in Ireland. But for Japan,
1: I might try that. <laughs> <laughs> pub and well, pub in a box in Ireland to Japanese customers.
0: <laughs> and like, so like, um, like you could buy a course for pretty much anything in the US yeah, or, yeah. you know, the English speaking world, but for Japan and plus for, I mean, of course, it's difficult to get suppliers in the US, but even more so in Japan, and just making all those connections that you've built over the years.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a lot of people who just started out, um, especially if it's a small business, Suppliers want them pay want them to pay for every delivery that's come in the door as soon as it arrives. Ideally, that's on like you pay them at the end of every month. They send you the invoice to say Q show, and then you fully come in the next month, or you like uh, transfer the money the next month. But if you're just starting off, and when you're just starting off in, with suppliers as well in Japan in general, they tend, they tend to charge you the highest price they have. And then after every year, I'll give us some trade secrets here. You can renegotiate your price. I've been with you for one year, even if it's just a hundred yen off a keg or off a bottle of vodka or a bottle of whiskey, whatever. It's like, is there anything you can do for us? Blah, blah, blah. And we we tend to do that every, like every year when it's coming up to anniversary, you can renegotiate your contract. So having, knowing the supplier before you even start your own business is a massive plus to have, you know? I think what I'm trying to communicate here to the audience
0: here is to get knowledge, you're either going to pay for it through time or money yeah and so like uh so i was giving the example of like a, a pub in a box or uh in my case for the marketing agency i actually just paid i think of like 1200 or 1500 us dollars and i got all the contract templates mm-hmm. i got all the steps with you know like talking with the client before after and it's like i could make it myself because i've run a business yeah. that was very successful but i'm gonna have to pay a timer money and in yeah. my case uh
1: my the, the time equivalent was just fifteen hundred US was cheap. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of analyzing it. I had the idea for opening up my own place when I was maybe twenty-six, twenty-seven, and I didn't actually open up until I was thirty-three. But from thirty-one to thirty-three, what you said there, it was just all time. I was like any free time I have, I was just studying it. It took me two years to find a location that we had. Yeah, we were very particular about what we wanted. And that was going on to a lot of different websites. And we looked at a lot of places that never worked out. So hopefully when clients consult with us, we do save them a lot of time. For the money that we receive, we save them a lot of time, especially if this is a dream that they've had for a few years to find out if it's actually feasible or not. You, you pretty much have the answer at the end of the first two hours consulting. In my consultancy as well, I tend to notice
0: that people are very conservative with money, but mm. they're not conservative with their time. Mm. And, like, sometimes it will just surprise me, like, you could just spend $1,000. It's going to save you six months. Mm. Mm. (laughs) And, like, the value of six months, is it only worth $1,000 to you? And, like, when you put it in that way to, like, people, they're like, oh, my God, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, yeah, I think it's one thing of being a really good entrepreneur is how to allocate capital and using time efficiently. And I think one effective way of doing that is paying for knowledge of experts.
1: Yeah, like it would have been nice if I had somebody to kind of consult with before I started on this. I did call in a couple of friends who who, who owned a very successful Italian restaurant at the time. And he gave me some nice advice. And what he actually taught me at the time was, I, I've actually blogged about this where I'm like, I was so excited. Uh, I didn't really um understand get the map part at that time, because I was just working at a pub. I saw how much Friday night sales were. I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to be so rich when I have my own pub. And I sat down, and I was just telling him all these ideas I have. I'm going to have craft beer. Craft beer is getting really big back in 2014. I'm going to have all these food. I'm going to do sports, blah, blah, blah. And have all these Irish societies, and this is what I'm doing. He just stopped me, and he's like, all right, how much How much do toothpicks cost? I'm like, what are you talking about? He was like, toothpicks, how much do they cost to buy it?" I'm like, I don't know, man, I haven't looked in. How, how much does it cost? Yeah. <laughs> What's the cost of the because I, I don't know, man. Why are, you, why are you asking me this? And he's like, you have no idea how much it costs. Sir. You've got all these great ideas. But you have no idea how much any of this stuff is going to cost. And he's like, you're going to make the classic mistake of you're going to run out of cash. So in that sense, it's like, it's nice yeah. to have somebody just there just to pull you aside for two hours and be like, this is what everything's going to cost you. And like, I I will never tell a client whether they should go ahead with their idea or not. That's It's not up to me to tell them. I can just show them how much it's going to cost and dinner store decision to make after that, you know?
0: Yeah, and I think every entrepreneur should uh, definitely understand uh, the incoming and outgoing. They definitely got to understand the cash flow. So, yeah, I think, so in your case, you had uh, some Japanese partners. Uh, In my case, uh, I was in charge of curriculum, managing, hiring, training all the foreigners, developing the service. I had one Japanese partner who did the marketing and one who was uh, kind of like a franchise specialist. So he handled all the interior so we kind of, kind of a dream team in our case. And of yeah. course it depends on the person, but I want to ask you two questions. Like, so if someone wants to get a Japanese partner or a, a foreign partner, what would be the ideal type of partner?
1: Yeah, in my case, like I tend to do the bar in the front of the house. Um, Chieko, my, one of my partners, she, she's really good in the hall as well, but she takes care of the books. And then uh, Atsushi-san, he's the other, and he's the chef, so he takes care of the kitchen and all the food. What we found what worked really well for us is you obviously all have to respect each other. And even if it's only a small decision, like I want to take this off the menu and put this on instead, So if you want to remove one craft beer and put in a different IPA from Ireland, is that. I would always just um, get their approval on it. I wouldn't just go ahead and do it and be like, so you have to keep your ego out of it as well. Is that it's all our business. I'm going to consult with these guys before I do anything else. I think you have to be able to have that open relationship with, it doesn't matter if they're foreign or Japanese, that you're on the one page about everything and you fully understand the roles that each of you're going to play in this. If you're both just in it for the money, then that's that sounds like a recipe for disaster, especially in hospitality, because the marriage can be very, very fine, especially for the first couple of years. But if you have an idea that you're both passionate for, and even if you are arguing like we argued quite a bit in the first six months, but it was always for the, the betterment of the business. It wasn't because, oh, no, I want to do this because I really like craft beer or I really like this IP. I really want to do this for me. It was always thought, but no, I think this is going to be really popular, blah, blah, blah. And we got on fantastic now. But as long as it's always you're doing what's best for the business is in your mind when you're having these conversations, then I think most partnerships should be okay, you know. And obviously, no matter if it's your best friend or not, everything's got to be in a contract, and it's got to be written up thanks for sharing that so i think you're kind of the face like you're the one dealing with all yeah.
0: the customers
1: yeah um Chico is very good with customers as well but she's she's really good at managing the books as well And any idea we have or any promotion we want to do we got to come back with the cost and see how much everything is going to cost and what the profit margins are before we actually go ahead with it you know you kind of you tend to keep each other in check with that
0: gotcha oh nice nice that, uh was it tough to kind of get maybe the chef to understand where the finances
1: yeah, he's um he's a very very good chef. But he's of, <laughs> he just wants to be kind of left alone and wants to do his own thing. So he's the ultimate silent partner. It's tough because he really doesn't want to spend his time doing that. But it's, yeah, you no, know, it's got it. There's no point in serving food if it's not going to be making you any money. You know, even if it's just a hundred yen a plate that you're making or two hundred yen a plate.
0: No, I think these are awesome uh, good points in uh, finding a good partner.
1: Yeah, sorry. I tend to bang on about uh, or talk a lot about the financial size and stuff, you know, but it's just, um, you've just got a much better chance of success if you fully understand where every yen is going, you know? Uh, I agree 100%. And I, sometimes you just
0: see things that were like, oh my God, like how, how could I? I didn't know I
1: had this big gash on my leg <laughs> for like <laughs> two years. <laughs> and so. Yeah, especially start like, because you would have been through it as well, Tyson, especially if you're starting off. And you don't really speak Japanese that well, and you haven't worked in hospitality. Then every salesman who's coming to your door is going to convince you, especially the marketers, that you absolutely have to have this for your business. You have to. Everybody's doing this, and it's it's scary to see what some people actually fall for, and they really believe they have to do. Like some people paying forty thousand yen for somebody to manage their Instagram per month. It's way too much money, especially at the start. Yeah. Manage it yourself, or just pay for templates or something.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think you mentioned you do need a good chunk of capital, but so I have two questions. How much does rent typically cost in Tokyo
1: and how much capital would you need to start a restaurant? That's the million dollar question. The location, it really does depend on the area, any area that you're looking at. If it's going to be on the ground floor, the first floor, it's going to be a lot higher than the second floor, third floor, fourth floor. What I would advise trying to do is do up your business plan and have a budget set for your rent and have your condition set for your rent. If you have, if it has to be on the first floor and you're allocating 500,000 yen a month, just keep searching until you find that. Don't get persuaded because you saw something nice and shiny in Harajuku, but it costs 800,000 yen a month. Like You've got to stick to your plan and make sure that the numbers work for you. So rent can be anything from 400,000 yen a month to 1.5 million yen a month. Nakamagro, places like that, you're easily looking at 900,000 a million yen a month. You're starting at the bottom of a hill every month trying to just to make the rent, you know. So the general rule of thumb is whatever your rent is will be 10% of your total cost per month. Now, that's obviously not always the case. And a lot of people say, no, my numbers are way different to that, blah, blah, blah. I, I fully understand that. It's just a rough math to do. So if your rent is 500,000 yen a month, You're doing up your business plan. You got to be thinking. I need to make then five million yen a month before I break you. I actually give the same total to my
0: physical business. (laughs) Nice. I I really didn't know that. I won't go into details about uh, my company, but uh, I'll just say that I have the same number in my head as well.
1: Yeah, and 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 if it's under that, fantastic. Then you got some money left over at the end of the month, right? But a lot that's, that's when we're looking at locations, that's what we tend to work off. I mean, how much is this is actually going to be? Like I said, we had a set number in our head. It had to be on the Yamante I line, it had to be on the ground floor. It had to be within a 10minute walk from the train station, and it took us two years to find where we are. <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Scaling Japan. In addition to serving as your fine host, I also provide advisory and coaching services to business owners who want to 2x, 5x, and even 10x their business. So stop holding your company and your team and your employees back and let me help you and your company scale. Find more information at scalingyourcompany.com Now back to the episode. If we're planning to open a food and beverage
1: uh, business, uh, what are some laws we need to be aware of? There's three licenses that you need. The one license that people are amazed by that you don't need is actually a liquor license. <laughs> if customers are coming in and drinking on your premises and they're not taken at home, you actually don't need a liquor license. You need what's called an aegyo kyokesho, you need a business license. That only costs about twelve to 15,000 yen a month. No, sorry, it's twelve to 15,000 yen, and then that's it, then you're set. Oh, wow. The one that's trickier to get is hygiene, food, health, and safety. That takes, that's a two-day course with a quiz at the end of it, and the license then will belong to whoever took the course. So if Tyson takes the course and he works in his restaurant, then the restaurant is fine. But if Tyson hires somebody to work in his restaurant and they have this license, but if that person quits then you need to go and get the license yourself. The license belongs to the person, not to the premises. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. That is a super important point. Yeah. And there's a fire safety as well. So you have to have, somebody has to go and do a fire safety course. So in the case of an emergency, this person is going to be in charge and they're going to show us how to get out of the building. And that's a one day course as well, which costs about 15,000 yen. So altogether, the licenses will only cost you about 40,000 yen. It's not bad. Gotcha. So yeah, I guess even if you have a partner, it's probably worth it just taking it.
0: That's for sure. Yeah. Cool. Oh, thanks for sharing that. Uh, also, about location. Like us, uh, so I think you told us a little bit of a pretty good marker for choosing a location on the first floor. But are there any other potential other issues in choosing a location?
1: Yeah, you got to be aware of the residents around. You got to have a look up, see who's living close by. If you want to open up a bar, especially, and um, we had this, we found this out the hard way as well, and just somebody living close by and everybody, Japanese, foreign or whoever, if they're coming out of your place at one o'clock in the morning and they're drunk, there's no point. It's like telling a toddler not to scream. There's no point in telling them to be quiet because it's not going to happen. you just got to be aware of the area that you're in, if it's actually going to be suitable for a bar as well. Another thing that I tend to look out for as well is if you want to open up a bar or a coffee shop in a certain area. You got Ideally, it's in an area where what I call people have their wallets open already. So it's not going to be on some corner where people are coming home from work and they live around the corner. They live in the building next door. People are just heading home. They don't want to stop in. They don't want to go for a coffee. It's got to go to this area. Even if it's away a few streets where you have like a, maybe a small short guy, or maybe there's a park close by where people will stop in on the way back. You got to have it in their mind already that, oh, I might stop for a beer on the way home, or I might stop in for a coffee and have a chat gotcha. with
0: you. Oh, thanks for sharing
1: that. And uh,
0: yeah, I think some people would be curious about this, but uh, what are your thoughts
1: on like campaigns
0: or like point cards?
1: Point cards, Japanese customers love point cards, yeah. We do them for lunch as well, that you have uh, lunch 10 times. And you get 400 yen off your lunch the next time you come in. It, Yeah, personally, when I'm not working, I, I don't have a point card for any place. <laughs> but Japanese customers do they do love their point cards. In terms of campaigns, I, I'm all for campaigns, especially if it's like um, a new cocktail that you're doing for the summertime, or if it's a new food that you're doing that's going to be in season as well. If you have the same menu for like a certain number of years, and if you're Bored with that menu you I can guarantee you your customers are really bored with that menu so always doing new campaigns especially new food new cocktails it'll keep customers excited and keep customers coming back as well like uh, last Friday night two Friday nights ago we had a Hawaiian end of summer Hawaiian party night And we got packed, but just with regulars. Many just regulars who are just coming on and off for the last few years, which is just all tend to come back in on that night because they know they're going to see their friends there that they might not have seen themselves in a while. So it's almost like a community hub that you're building. Yeah, no, that's
0: kind of interesting. It's uh, going there, Yeah, once they get that familiar place, they
1: can just talk to people they already know. And Yeah, we have the general rule at Tom that if somebody comes to your place three times, then they're going to be a regular customer for life.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: So when we started, wow. our goal was to make one new regular customer every day. Now I think having a metric like that, I think that's excellent. Yeah. That's really, really smart. And you just keep, keep grinding that every day. And you will, see, you will see the fruits of that labor quicker than anything else you do. Like we were talking about marketing earlier. Um, the best marketing by far is word of mouth by far. It's kind of interesting because like I, I did mention
0: that we do marketing agency work. I actually think restaurants shouldn't really open, make a website. I mm. think they should just have a blog rather than paying someone like 300,000 yen to make their website.
1: Yeah. No, we don't have a website. We just have our social medias. Yeah. Like... There's, enough, there's enough websites out there now that like people will review the, your place, right? Like Google Business is massive now. Google Reviews oh, is yeah. huge. Um, TripAdvisor, obviously, is very big as well. TabiLog, Kulnavi. Yeah, you gotta be on top of all of that. Yeah, no, like I was
0: thinking like, should I sell to Mark restaurant owners? And I was like, no, like it doesn't make any sense. Cause like yeah. uh, there's all these existing solutions and someone checking your website, like that's not gonna be the deciding point. They could get we that information there.
1: elsewhere equally, so. Generally tell how good a restaurant or a bar or cafe is by how bad the reviews are. And oh, I gotcha. if somebody's complaint is, um, i tend to use the bathroom and there was a small crack in the window. And that's a bad review. It's like, well, this place must be actually pretty good if that's the worst somebody can find that's wrong with the place, you know? So, actually, I'm curious. Uh,
0: so for Blog, like, there's pretty much no one who has, like, a four. <laughs>
1: yeah. But, like, what is actually a good score? 4.5 out of 5 is pretty good, I think. That's, that's pretty good.
0: Uh, on on Blog.
1: Yeah, that's hard to get, man. Yeah, I think Google Reviews that. is pretty easy to game, but Google reviews, yeah. That's a that's a bit more personal as well. A lot of people just tend to use their real names and stuff like that. You you gotta be a bit thick skinned, there because we've had some like like bad reviews as well, man. I'm not gonna lie. And you just gotta give it a couple of days and didn't reply to it. But I have to give it a couple of days and didn't reply to it because <laughs> you yeah, just gotta take this on the chin, man. Am I pissed off right now? <laughs> <laughs> no, you pass the test, okay. You, you have approval. Well, what I'll actually do is um, I'll write the reply and then I'll I'll show it to my wife, and then she will tell me if it's okay or nice. not. or She might edit it before I'm allowed nice. to send anything. So gotcha. uh, you have the, You have the layering.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, cool. And yeah, I was gonna say, in your experience, like, uh, do a lot of Japanese people use like? Online payment systems like PayPay or credit cards?
1: Yeah. Um PayPay has gone really big. Credit cards, to be completely honest, credit card companies in Japan charge so much per transaction. You're talking about anywhere between 3.5% to 5.5%. And I hear a lot of tourists complaining that I was in a restaurant for lunch. And I saw the credit card machine. They wouldn't let me use the credit card. They said I had to pay in cash. I'm like, there's so little money in lunch to begin with that. If you're another 5% is gone off what you're making, your margins are almost disappearing. You know, yeah. I mean, our credit card at the moment is at 4.7.5%. Pay is right? much better. Pay is 1.7%. Oh, very. that's, that's very reasonable. And pay is, I think they're extremely reasonable to deal with as well. We've dealt with them quite a bit. Uh, and was, it was zero for the first two years, first three years. And just last year, once they have a the smart business, once they have the yeah. customer base built up, and once we have so many of our customers reliant on Pepe, then they bring in the fee. We can't say no now because so many of our customers like to pay by Pepe. But essentially no, in Japan, know. especially from our point of view, um, cash is still king.
0: Yeah, 1.7. That's really good, though.
1: Because again,
0: uh, American Express and JCB are the two expensive ones. So that's probably the 5% yeah. ones say mastercard and visa are probably the 3.5 to 4 depending on but yeah no one point that's really really reasonable it's pretty good yeah like five percent that's like extortion
1: (laughs) yeah it's hard it's hard to take because even when i was working in ireland 20 years ago i think it was maybe about 1.5 percent gotcha and essentially like credit card companies are just moving numbers on a screen. You know, yeah. like I they offer a lot of campaigns. They do a lot of cash back for customers. Mm-hmm. They do a lot of point back for customers. Credit card is just basically putting the cash from here and it's 5% every month. I mean, because we had the rugby World Cup in 2019 and almost everybody's coming up from Australia. Gotcha. There's a lot of Irish rugby fans in Australia and everybody's like tap, tap, tap the whole time to credit card. And that really adds up, that 5% adds up really quickly
0: yeah like because even a thousand yen lunch that's like 50 yen it's 50 yen gone out of yeah. every plate, right when yeah. you're, when you're charging like
1: 700 yen seven eight hundred yen and yeah it's uh, it's, the, it's going that way to, I mean everybody almost every tourist now is they're really surprised when you ask them for cash you know
0: any other maybe some thoughts on like customer service to Japanese staff for I guess like in-person businesses Oh, for Japanese staff to customers. Foreigners to Japanese customers or uh, Japanese staff to Japanese customers?
1: For Japanese staff to Japanese customers, and I see this a lot with my own albaita, they find it really hard to put themselves out there. Like a customer will come in and they'll really want to talk to like a certain member of staff and they're like, what do I talk to them about? I like, just tell them about your weekend. And they're like, no, my my, my weekends are so boring. I'm like, well just tell him about a movie you watched or something, just like anything. He was like, he'll be more than happy just to chat to you, you know? So I, it's getting that barrier down a little bit. <laughs> a lot of Japanese staff find quite hard. So I would just say just be yourself, be more natural and just like you don't have to be super genki all the time. Just tell him, No man, I'm actually a little bit hungover and went out and I had too many to drink too many to drink after work last night. I mean customers like respond quite well to that. Like I have my kids in the barrel lot. My wife comes into the barrel lot. So almost all of my regular customers know the name, but my kids and stuff like that now as well. So kind of make it like a community, like I said, area. Yeah. Like a a family. That could make sense. Cause I
0: could see like, uh, if you're working all day, you're just trying to calculate what people are thinking the whole day. And you're, you're just tired.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I know that like for foreign, other foreign owners with Japanese customers, it's really essential that you read your customer. Cause I've, got so many customers who come in who actually don't want to talk, especially for the first drink. They've had a tough day, they're coming from the office, maybe they work too much, they go in, they're straight on the Wi-Fi, they're having their drink, and you can just tell straight away, all right, they just want to be left alone. Just give them, let them have a drink or two, let them warm up, and then you can start the conversation with them. So it's You don't feel obliged that you have to chat the ear off every customer who sits at your bar, you know? I mean, a lot of people just, just want to be left alone. They just want to enjoy their beer as well, you know? find that right balance between which customers really do want to chat, which customer really wants to have like an English lesson while they're having a drink and which customer just wants to be left alone and just let them like digest the day that they just had a little bit, you know?
0: Yeah, no, this has been a fun chat for me as well. Hearing about a kind of like similar physical, like what's the in-person business, uh, which I, which what I used to do Yeah, and a lot of commonalities there, but where can the audience find you? And do you have any requests for the audience?
1: Uh, you can find me at my website, which is uh, www.japanhospitalityconsultants.com, or they can come to my bar in Yoyogi. I'm there most nights of the week. Cool. Um, any requests from the customers? No matter how hard your job might seem right now, just stick with it for a while. Go work in a hospitality business yourself before you open up your own place. It'll save you a hell of a lot of money excellent advice and uh we'll put a link to the bar and
0: uh also uh we'll put a link yep. to your consulting and uh, also maybe when we have uh we we've already had a Scaling japan podcast like guest party maybe we'll throw the next oh one. yeah excellent yeah i'd love that cool so i'll reach out to you about that uh for the next one i think maybe end of this year oh
1: cool yeah definitely keep me in the loop sounds good william and thanks for coming on all right cheers tyson thanks a lot